Morning, Living Faith. Uh, if you're visiting, my name is Kiefer. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we are a church that preaches through whole books of the Bible. Um, Pastor Steve is currently going through uh, the book of James right now, and uh, today I'm beginning our, our trek through Jude. Um, one of the shorter letters in the New Testament. As we uh, read early, uh, earlier, you can uh, see for yourself that parts of it are rather strange, but it's a uh, very important letter, and it's a very um, applicable letter for us. Um, so this morning, I would like to start by asking you some, some questions and to really kind of think to yourself and be honest, but... Um, do you ever feel hopeless? Do you feel hopeless? Do you ever feel discouraged? And that discouragement makes you feel like all hope is lost. Are you someone who thinks that things are only getting worse when you look around? You find yourself anxious over current events. We're going into another election year. I'm sure we all remember the last election year. We had pandemics, riots, murder hornets. What could be in store for us this year? Only God knows. What about the church? Do you ever feel hopeless for the church? Are you discouraged and hopeless when you see yet another famous pastor exposed in another scandal? Or do you feel hopeless when you see the rising popularity and book sales written by another false teacher? Do you feel hopeless when you see lesbian priests officiating trans weddings? Do you feel hopeless for the church when you hear about drag queen worship leaders singing at deconstruction conferences? I want to tell you today that hope is not lost. I want to tell you today that as a Christian... You are the most hopeful beings in all of humanity. I want to tell you today that you can have hope because God is the great keeper. God is the great keeper. He keeps his promises and he keeps his people. Life's storms can pour down Waves of anxiety and despair can crash against the rock, but we will not be swept away because God is our solid rock. God is the great keeper. And I want to tell you that if you feel hopeless, you are not alone. Thousands of years ago, the church was suffering, much like it is now, being poisoned by sexually immoral false teachers. And the church then, like now, needed to be reminded of the hope that we have, that they had in Christ, that we have in Christ. We must be reminded of the promises of God, the promises of hope for those who have repented and believe, hope for those who have repented and believe but also the promise of doom for those who have not repented and believed. 
Today, as we begin Jude, it is important to remember that it is ultimately a book about hope. And it is a book about doom. Hope for repentant saints. Doom for unrepentant sinners. Hope for those that God has redeemed and for those who have rejected Him. Doom. It is a book that reminds the original audience and ourselves this morning that God is the great keeper. So much so, uh, in fact, that it's the bookends of the letter from Jude. Uh, He begins with God being the great keeper, and he ends that. Verse 1 tells us that we are kept for Jesus. And the benediction, which we read as well, in verse 24 tells us that God is able to keep us from stumbling. Even if, much like Jude, everything in between those two verses is pandemonium, God is still the great keeper. The verses in between these two bookends are filled with calling out gross sexual sin, calling out false teachers, references to Old Testament judgment, apparently an angelic wrestling match between Michael and Satan over Moses' body, and quotes from the book of Enoch. But through all of it, God is the great keeper. The structure of Jude seemingly models the scope of Scripture where God's sovereignty and power as the keeper of all things are the bookend of the Bible and pervades its pages. And it also parallels your own life as a Christian. God keeps you from beginning to end. Even if the providential pandemonium ensues between the first and last verses of your life, God is still the great keeper. Therefore, you can have hope. So where are we going this morning? As an introductory sermon, we have to cover a few things. Uh, We're going to talk about who Jude was. So we're going to ask, who was Jude? We're going to ask, who did he write his letter to? We're going to ask, why did he write his letter? And then finally, we're going to talk about Jude and his special club. First, who was Jude? Uh, Jude was the brother of Christ. It's it's contested, but it is widely accepted that the author of this letter is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark 6.3 tells us that... uh, He writes, is this man, not the carpenter speaking of Jesus, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Jude and Judas are derivatives of Judah. So it doesn't explicitly say Jude here, rather it's it's Judas, but it's kind of like the name James. Uh, It could be Jim or James or uh, Jimothy or something like that, right? Jude is the same way. Uh, He is also the brother of James, uh, which he mentions here. James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the author of the letter which Steve is preaching through. Uh, And interestingly enough, neither of them boast about their familial connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither one of them bring it up, but rather both say, I am a slave of Christ. Sorry. I am a, a slave of Christ. They take the position of slaves to Christ. Both brothers write in a similar fashion in that they take a position of humility in calling themselves slaves of Christ, but they also demonstrate great boldness. They hold humility and boldness and biblical tension, and that is an example for us. 
Too often we are willing to call out false teaching from a place of theological haughtiness. And yet the biblical example tells us to do it from humility. We will see in Jude's letter, and as we've heard read this morning, that he is very bold and he is very unashamed. And biblically speaking, that has to come from a place of humility. Boldness must come from a place of humility. All right, so who is he writing to? Who is Jude writing to? We don't know. We don't know specifically who he was writing to. Uh, It's likely a letter addressed to the church, or uh, we call these general epistles, or the old dead authors would call them Catholic letters, meaning they were to be circulated. It wasn't like he wrote directly to the Galatians like Paul, but they could have been included. It was meant to be circulated. Uh, They are never named, but they are addressed, so we don't know exactly, but we can say we know specifically. He specifically writes to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus. Jude is writing to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept kept for Jesus. We'll take time this morning to look at these three in turn. So first, those who are called. All believers are called by God. All believers are called by God. Christian, do you need hope this morning? Know that you are called by God. God has called you. Romans 8, 29-30, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Dear Christian, you have been known by God from the foundations of the world. And predestined unto salvation. He has elected and called you. Why are Christians, I said this a minute ago, that Christians are the most hopeful beings in all of creation. Why? Because you are new creations in Christ. That is your hope. You are new creations in Christ. And he has called you. The scriptures are clear. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 2 Timothy 1.8.9 Therefore, Paul's writing this, Do not be ashamed of either the witness about our Lord or me his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who saved us and called us. With a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Jesus Christ from all eternity. The scriptures are clear, Christian. You are called. Now, what is this call exactly? Uh, The term for this particular call, um, we call effectual calling. Effectual calling. It is the drawing of those that God has chosen, the elect, to the Father. It is contrasted against the general call of the gospel that goes out to everyone. So the general call is for all people, but this effectual call is only for God's elect. Jesus says in John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, 
And I will raise him up on the last day. You must be drawn to the Father. Spurgeon, uh, the ever quotable, has a catechism. Question 30 of his catechism actually tackles this exact term. He asks, what is effectual calling? And he writes, effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing of us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ, which is freely offered to us in the gospel. The effectual call is from the Father, but the power by which he draws you is the Holy Spirit. As Spurgeon said, it's this work of God's Spirit. So more so, the Holy Spirit is by which, the power by which, as the Catechism explains, that you are called, but also regenerated. The Spirit regenerates you. You Christians were dead in your sin until the Holy Spirit called you and regenerated you. The Holy Spirit resurrects your dead soul. And one day that same Holy Spirit, that same power will resurrect your dead body. Romans 8.11 That is your hope. That's your hope. Regenerated life is a taste of resurrected life. Regenerated life is a foretaste of resurrection life. Regenerated life is a life with a new heart and a new mind. And it's all from the Holy Spirit. He helps you see your sin. He gives you repentance of that sin. The Holy Spirit is the power that kills that sin in your life. The Spirit is the power by which you embrace Christ fully and completely. You cannot do that on your own. Um, the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith has a whole chapter on effectual calling. It's lengthy, but I'll summarize here. It's in the notes um, if you're reading along. It's Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 10, paragraph 2, writing, The effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything foreseen in those called. Man is dead in their sins until they are made alive and renewed by the Holy Spirit. And by this they are enabled to answer the call and embrace the grace offered in it. And this power is no less than that which raised Christ from the dead. That power, that power that raised Christ from the dead calls you. How incredibly hopeful is it that you can't help yourself, but you must completely throw yourself upon the triune God. You cannot call yourself to God. You cannot raise yourself from death to life because you are too weak. You are too dead, but he is life itself, and he is strong, and he alone has that power. So we ask, why would God do this? Why would God do this? Why would the Father call us? Why would the Holy Spirit regenerate us? Well, the answer is in our second section. Because he loves us. God loves us. All believers are loved by God. Chapter 1, verse 1 here of Jude, he says, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father. Do you need hope this morning? 
Because you are loved by God. You are loved by God. The Father calls you, and the Father loves you. And He has loved you since He gave the Son, its, since before He gave the Son its light, and filled the ocean with sea monsters. He has loved you since before He spread the stars across the skies and formed man out of dust. He has loved you. Ephesians 1, 3, 6, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy, that we would be blameless before Him in love by predestining us predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. How much does God love us? How can we know? Let us look. How much does God love us? He loves you so much that he predestined you, and he called you. He loves you so much that he saved you, that he resurrected your dead soul, to life. He loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you. We read it earlier, but Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, having all knowledge, knew the sins you would commit. And yet he shows his love by sending the son to die for us. He knew every wrong thing that you would do every time you broke his law. He knew how much you would lie. He knew how much porn you would watch. He knew how much you would hate your brother in your heart. He knew how much you would covet your neighbor's wife. He knew how much you would dishonor your parents. And yet the triune God says, I'm going to save them. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to give them a new heart and a new mind. And I'm going to send my spirit so that they may kill that sin. So that they may have eternal life. He gives us hope despite us being hopeless. Only God can give that kind of hope. Only Christians can have that kind of hope because the Lord our God has given it to us. God has given us the hope of eternal life through salvation in His Son's death and resurrection. That is how much God loves us. How can we know this? How can we know? Romans 5.3 and not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that affliction brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Funny how hope pops up here. That's me. That's not in the text. Um, hope does not put to shame, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We have hope because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The power by which God calls us to himself 
and the power by which he pours out his love into our hearts is the same power. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the third person of the Trinity himself. The one who eternally proceeds from the Father and Son. He gives you the Father's love. He does. And the Father gives us the best gifts by giving us the Holy Spirit. James 1, 17 says that all good and perfect things and gifts come from the Father of lights. Jesus even asked in Matthew 7, he asked if earthly dads are so good at gifts, how much greater are the gifts of the Heavenly Father? He knows what we need most. He knows we need salvation. He knows that He is our hope. He has given us all of this to us in His Son by the power of the Spirit. That is how much God loves you. That's how much He loves you. He calls you, He loves you, and He keeps you. Our last section here says that we are kept for Jesus Christ. All believers are kept for Jesus Christ. Christian, do you need hope this morning? Know that you are kept for Jesus Christ. If you are called, if you are beloved in the Father, then you are kept for Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 6, Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. He says again in John 10, My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. I will give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, ever. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Do you see now that God is the great keeper? He keeps you protected. And as Jude's book concludes, he writes that he keeps you from stumbling. This is something we call, if you've been to a Reformed church before or you're familiar with the the doctrine, we call this the perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints. Um, our confession, again, is, is helpful. Chapter 17 writes, This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ in union with Him, the abiding of His Spirit in the covenant of grace. God's keeping of you for His Son has nothing to do with you. God's keeping of you for His Son has nothing to do with you, and it has everything to do with His unchangeable decree, His unchangeable love, the unchangeable intercession and union with Christ that we have, and the unchangeable covenant of grace. Your perseverance does not depend on you. Maybe you've been told that, but you're too weak for that. Only God has the strength for that. 
God loves you and he keeps you. His decree to save you cannot be changed. His love for you is immutable, meaning it also cannot be changed. No one messes with those that God has called, that he has loved, that he has kept. The last one who tried had the power of an angel and had his skull crushed. It was defeated upon the cross. This is your hope, that God is the great keeper. This is your hope. And how does he keep us? How does God keep us? Well, he seals us with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power by which the Father calls us. The Holy Spirit is how the love of the Father is poured in our heart. And the Holy Spirit is how we are sealed. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. And him, you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You are God's precious possession. You are God's precious possession. And he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. So do you need to hear this today? Because I do. I need to hear this every day. And I know Jude's audience needs to hear it too. That we are called that we are loved, and that we are kept for Jesus, that he keeps us, that when everything seems to be swirling out of control, God is the great keeper. When the church seemingly progresses further into paganism and sexual immorality, God is the great keeper. When your friends turn their back on you because they weren't really serious about following Christ, God is your great keeper. When you get the call from your dad and you need to come to the hospital because they found something, God is the great keeper. When you get the call from the school that your kid fell and they're not getting back up and the ambulance is on the way, God is the great keeper. Nothing can mess with those that God has called and loved and kept. Hear and receive these words from Romans. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our final section here, or next to final section, we ask, why did Jude write this letter? Why do they need to hear this so bad? Why, do this, why does Jude's audience need to be reminded that they are called, loved, and kept? Well, he tells us pretty clearly. He was trying to write to them about their common salvation, but a situation came up and it needed to be addressed. And this would require encouragement, comfort, and an exhortation. So 
What's the exhortation? What, is, what, is he, what does he want them to do? He wants them to contend for the faith. He wants them to contend for the faith. Jude wrote his letter because the church was being plagued by false teachers. False teachers um, that were twisting the gospel message. They were using it for license to sin. He wrote this letter because the church needed to be reminded of the hope that they have. And then he needed to be exhorted to fight for sound doctrine. Now, contend here, usually when we think of contend, we think of boxers, right? We think of, you know, two athletes fighting in the ring. We say all the contenders tonight. Um, In the Greek, it means to labor strenuously for something. To labor strenuously for something. And the something here is faith. The faith handed down from the saints. Now, faith here doesn't mean salvation. Faith here does not mean salvation. Um, We know that because, as we've seen, um, that salvation belongs to the Lord, that He grants faith and repentance to whom He calls. But faith here, rather, means the system of sound doctrine. He wants them to fight for sound doctrine, to labor strenuously for sound doctrine. So why is that important? Why does he feel the need to scrap his previous letter to take this on? Because what you believe determines how you behave. What you believe determines how you behave. Steve recently said this in a sermon on James. We talked about how orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. So how you be, what you believe determines how you behave. If you believe that you are called, loved, and kept, that radically changes how you behave. If you, um, or what these false teachers were convincing people to believe in, was changing how they behaved. What these false teachers were trying to convince people to believe in was changing how they behaved. And Jude knows that the best way to combat false teachers is sound doctrine. The best way to combat false teachers is sound doctrine. Jude did not write a letter telling his audiences to cut their losses and move on. Jude did not write a letter telling his audience to cut their losses and move on. Jude writes a letter telling them to get back in the ring. Defend and contend for the faith. These false teachers are going to make a mess. But you, Christian, have the hope in theology to clean it up. And that is by the power of the Spirit. And that requires humility and boldness. Both our humility and our boldness, though, comes from the fact that we are called that we are beloved in the Father and kept for Jesus. We are humble because we are called and beloved and kept. And we are bold because we are called, beloved in the Father, and kept. So some practical points if you're a note taker. How can we contend for the faith? How can we contend for the faith? Shortly, study sound doctrine. And practice it. Study sound doctrine and practice it. Firstly, read your Bible. 
How can you contend for the faith? By reading your Bible, by knowing what it says, by studying it. How can you contend for the faith? Secondly, pray and ask God to grow, to grow your knowledge. Pray. Simple as that. Pray. Pray for humility. Pray for boldness. Pray for understanding. Ask the Lord as you're studying His Word to give you understanding. Not just so that you can, you know, uh, destroy every lofty argument, but so that you may know Him more. That you may come to a greater understanding of your own salvation. That you may be able to, as Jude writes later, snatch those out of the fire. Go to church. Go to a church that preaches God's Word without an agenda that preaches through books of the Bible, verse by verse. Go to Sunday school. Go to your flock. Go to your community groups. Go be in community. Encourage and exhort each other. Look after one another. Pray for one another. Ask each other, what are you reading? What are you studying? Can you help me with this? These are all good things. And finally, if you know me, read good books. Read books. Preferably the debtor the author, the better the book. Read good books. God has been so kind to grace His church for thousands of years with brilliant minds that expound the Scriptures and teach good, sound doctrine. Do not be ignorant of those resources. And look to Christ. Look to Christ. Keep your eyes on Him. Ask the Lord in prayer that you may see Christ in the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, that you would see Christ in the Scriptures. Ask that you would see Christ when you need to be reminded that you are called, that you are beloved, and that you are kept. God has given us the Holy Spirit he has given us the means to study His Word. And He has reminded us that we are called, loved, and kept. He is the great keeper. Let that be what you hope in today, in tomorrow, in the day after. Let that be your hope. And finally, I wanted to talk really quick about Jude in a special club. If there are unbelievers, hear me today, that when I say that you may not have this hope right now, that you don't have the hope that Christians have, but you can. Doom is coming for those who would reject the Lord Jesus Christ. It's unavoidable. You cannot escape it. Doom is coming. I shouldn't say you can't escape it. But it is coming, but you can escape that by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That He has paid for your sins. That He has drank the cup of your judgment down to its dregs. That means you are not hopeless. You are not hopeless. Christ has paid for your sins. If you believe in Him, you are saved. Believe in Him. Believe that he has paid for every one of your sins with his own blood. You could be thinking, I'm too far gone. I've made too big a mess. I've denied Jesus with my words and my actions my whole life. If that's the case, 
When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you do gain admittance to a special club of other believers. Believers just like you, who thought that the gospel was nonsense, that the Messiah was a lunatic. Joining this club puts you in the ranks of Paul, who wrote the bulk of the New Testament. James, who I've mentioned, we're going through his letter now, and Jude himself. Mark 3.21 says, And when his family heard this, speaking of Jesus, they went out to restrain him. For they said, He is out of his mind. Jesus' family, his brothers, thought he was a lunatic. John 7 makes it clear that not even his own brothers believed in him. And yet, James and Jude repented. They believed. They were not too far gone. They were not too far gone. They were not hopeless. And neither are you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would like to talk more about this, please meet uh, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Jim, and myself are here today. We would love to tell you more about what Jesus has done. We would, tell you, we would love to tell you more about how much God loves you, that he wants to love you, and, or that he has called you, that he has loved you, and that he keeps you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time in your word. Uh, help us to remember that you are the great keeper. Help us to remember that you are our only hope. Help us, Lord, to remember that we are called and loved and kept. Help us to contend for the faith. May you give us humility and may you give us boldness. Help us, Lord. May you grant faith and repentance to Anyone today that you have not visited them yet with salvation. That providentially in your timing and in your will that you would do that, Lord. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for the eternal life that you have given us. You have saved us from your wrath that we deserve because you have sent your son to die for us. Remind us, Lord, that that is our hope. Remind us, in Jesus' name, amen.